AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Dr. Adina Savelstri is the founder of Life Cycles Counseling in Richmond, Virginia, where she is a licensed therapist who has been treating patients for over 14 years. Her practice encompasses a wide array of services, but her specialty is treating women with substance abuse issues, helping children who have experienced trauma in their lives, and treating people who have anger and management issues. In addition to her practice, Dr. Silvestri hosts the podcast Atheist in Recovery, which is coming up on its one-year anniversary and has now posted 48 episodes. The podcast features guests who have an expertise in recovery issues, whether they be credentialed professionals or people who have experienced addiction and recovery from personal experience. The podcast explores the importance of one's belief system in their recovery, and it's really helpful for those of us who are in the recovery community who hold a secular worldview. Welcome, Adina, to AA Beyond Belief. Thanks for having me. I've been wanting to have you here for quite a while, to be honest with you. Um, when your podcast came out, I was really excited to see another podcast that's devoted to um, really pointed towards secular people in recovery because, you know, not too long ago, I would say about five years ago um, or more, maybe even time goes by, but it was really difficult to find anything online that was um Oh, addressing issues for people in recovery who happen to be atheist agnostic or have a secular worldview. And it's good to see more of this information becoming available now. I think it's important. Yes. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, In fact, the reason that I started the podcast was because clients would come to me and they would say, listen, I don't, I don't want to, I don't believe in the God thing. I don't feel like AA is, is a good fit for me. Um, and I need some alternative ways to recover. Um, and so it was for them, but selfishly it was also for me because now I've met all these amazing podcasters and people from around the globe that are doing this work that, you know, I didn't even know existed a a little, uh, over a year ago. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, let's go into your background a little bit, your professional background, if you don't mind. Um, you know, what got you interested in treating people with substance abuse to begin with? Well, I, so I moved from upstate New York to Virginia and I'll make this a short story, (laughs) but, uh, and I moved here for a job in a locked inpatient psychiatric unit and I would treat the individuals on the unit. I would do their, um, their hearings as well to commit them to the unit. And what I saw over and over again were like these, you know, these young, vibrant children, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, They'd come in and we would treat them doing air quotes um, as for as long as their insurance would allow, which would be five days. And then we would send them out into the world and it just felt like such a inhumane thing to do because they weren't ready um and so that's why I wanted to to study addiction and to to figure out how I could provide more resources to my community and I knew that there needed there there had to have been a better way um, than than what we were doing just that treat them and street them type of mentality 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that's, that's really important. Um, it does seem to be actually in mental health altogether. Um, I have a brother who has mental health issues, serious ones. He's, he's schizoaffective and, uh, that type of, that type of illness really requires a lot of follow-up and for those people to, um, really have any chance of recovery because, uh, his recovery depends completely on his willingness to take the medication that prevents him from having psychotic episodes and without regular follow-up, he's not going to take that medication. And unfortunately, what happens in our society, the way that our uh, mental health system is um, built, I guess, is like you say, you treat them and you let them go. And, uh, then, and then when they're off their medication, it's impossible to get them, almost impossible to get them back into treatment again. So it's really difficult. And I can see that also happening with substance abuse, too. Well, I know it does, you know, especially... Um, uh, on the um, people that are struggling right now financially anyway uh, to get treatment and then just to be, you know, put out there we're on their own. So, yeah. Yeah. So you're also interested in facing and uh, dealing with um, or helping women in particular. And, you know, that's interesting. Uh, of, of course, you know, women have their own um, set of issues and, and I have a lot of women friends in recovery and a lot of them will have um, groups that are specifically for women. And some of them even tell me that they speak differently in their women's groups than they do in men's group. And I wonder if you might be able to talk a little bit about the, the specific issues that are facing women in recovery today. Yeah. So when I did my dissertation research, um, I'm teen- years ago, uh, one of the findings that kept coming up, or one of the themes that kept coming up was that women would only start the recovery process um, at at the willingness of the, of their partners, I guess. <laughs> so the women would push their partners to receive treatment, but then they would be held back by their partners. Well, if you get if you get better, then that means that I need to look at myself. <laughs> you're going to leave me because you're going to be elevated. I'm still going to be down here. And so that was one of the challenges. And then, of course, like all the challenges that come with um, with being a woman uh, in today's society, you know, child care, you know, sometimes having to be this little bread, breadwinner. And so how do you manage all those things? And then also um, put your recovery first, um, which is really difficult sometimes. And I also found it interesting that the other two areas that you like to um, work in is um, helping children with trauma and also people who to help people manage their anger and emotions better. And both of those are really connected to addiction. And I'm learning more now about the role that trauma plays in a person's likelihood to become an addict later on in life. And I'm, I was kind of curious, is that maybe why you became interested in helping children with that, that are facing trauma in their lives, or was that just completely a separate uh, consideration? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't think that consciously I made that decision uh, <laughs> um, because I started my career in uh, child and family center practices. Um, and I, and I just feel like it, it's so much, I, I see quicker results with children than I do with adults. And that makes sense, right? Because there's a lot more <laughs> baggage to go through. Um, but even with hypnotherapy, I just, I find that like children just take to it so, so much better than, than the adults do. Um, so to answer your question, no, it, it wasn't a deliberate thing, but, um, but I enjoy working with children a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it does, and maybe it will help them later on in life. I mean, then that I, when I look back at my, my early um, 
years growing up. <laughs> uh, I, I talk about trauma a lot with a, a friend of mine. She's very interested in it and uh, the role that it plays in a person's um, addiction or like becoming an addict later on in life. And, you know, trauma can take a lot of different forms. And I, you know, I look at my, my life, my growing up years, and it wasn't all black and white. And it, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't horrible and it wasn't, you know, it was just, it was a mixed bag. I think, I think I would characterize my growing up as just being um, kind of unstable and that I didn't know what to expect from my household. It was just some craziness in there. And I never really think of that as being traumatic, but you were kind of always on edge. And I know, I, I still recall my first drink. I was probably like eight years old and it soothed me. And it was medicine for me. And I didn't, and I never thought about that as, as what I had been living through as being traumatic at all. But I can now look back and see that, yeah, that was when I started using alcohol to change the way that I felt. And mm-hmm. after yeah, a while, I, I always say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it works until it doesn't. I, I always say that. I don't think that any of us have, um, have left our childhood unscarred in some, in some way, shape or form. So, well, it's generational, you know, I, when, and that's when, one of the benefits I've got from being in recovery is I, I did take a look at my, at my past and the people that I, Oh, that, um, that raised me and, you know, they brought to, to me their own personal trauma from when they were growing up and what my parents went through in their lives was actually far more traumatic than anything that I experienced. Um, but they had to deal with that while raising me. And I, and I can, and I can see that to some extent they did pretty well and to and, but it was still a challenge. So um, looking at it though, I can say that, well, got this generation is a little bit better off, I guess, than the last one as in at least in my family. But yeah, it's interesting how that trauma can really, um, be generational too. Yeah. And they say that family therapy, um, for individuals that do participate for the families that do participate, it can affect up to three generations. Yeah. That really makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. That really makes sense. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Cause you can look back at your family history and say, Oh yeah. Um, this is, this is, you know, it's passed on. It truly is. And it, it might not just even be um, genetic. In fact, I heard on one of your podcasts, I can't remember which one, you were kind of talking about the genetic predisposition to um, addiction and the environment and how sometimes um, the in, sometimes your environment can overwhelm your the, the genetic part of it so that your environment really can play a really important role in whether or not you become an addict. Um, well, let's talk about your podcast a little bit. Why, why did you start podcasting to begin with? That is a great, great question. Well, I think, uh, as I said earlier, I, I, I love to learn, and I knew that there was so much that I needed to learn um, <laughs> regarding addiction, and this was one way to do it, you know. Um, it's just sort of immerse myself into other people's stories um, and backgrounds. And then also, you know, I, I wanted to build a community for people that, that didn't subscribe to a higher power, uh, but that, that needed, that needed to find their people, you know, as, as we've heard over and over again, people, uh, they recover in community. So it doesn't really matter what, um, 
the, the, they're subscribing to as long as they can find their people. <laughs> That's like the, you know, seems to be the most important, one of the most important uh, indicators of, of coming, uh, of having a successful recovery. So, so yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess you got to hear that from the people who come to you for help. And I've heard the same thing actually from my doctor that um, there, that she does run to quite a few people who say that um, one problem they run into is when they go to an AA meeting, the first thing they're confronted with is this idea that um, you have to have a higher power or, and and an AA is very specific. It's, it's God. And, um, and, and, and I have been in an AA for many, many decades, three decades. (laughs) And uh, so um, I I know part of the problem is that um, in AA, we uh, use a book that was written in 1939 and they're still using the book in the very same language that it was written in. And over the years, um, you know, language changes and society changes, um, but that book hasn't. And it's so almost impossible anymore uh, for somebody who is 23 years old now uh, to give them a book that is 80 years old and tell them that this is what they need to read. <laughs> and uh, anyway, that whole, that, that, that book has kind of created a culture of, um, that I, I think that this is the problem that, you, that we run into is it creates, it creates this culture that, okay, this is the book. It's a great book. It's wonderful. And it gives you some specific instructions that you need to follow and you better do this. And when you read the book, it's all about God. <laughs> so. Instead <laughs> of, better belong and then decide you know what steps you want to follow and what you want to do and which one do you want to discard yeah yeah but and what what is interesting though from from an atheist perspective um i can see i can see what works in in aa and it's not it has nothing to do with with god in my opinion it has everything to do with the other people that are in the room and um so, but what, as you said, it's so important to have your own tribe and it's, and in a way it's kind of sad that we have to have these tribes, but, um, I myself after some time in AA, um, was found that my view as a, a secular view of Alcoholics Anonymous was not at all accepted at my home group. I had to start another group for people that are atheists and agnostics. So <laughs> talking about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, glad you you did that yeah yeah and there's a lot of people that are doing that too um so but um you do ask a lot of your guests and maybe you ask it on every on every episode what their what their belief system is and yeah i think i might change it to what your spirit your spirit animal is just change it up a little but yeah (laughs) Yeah. so why do you think that's so important I think it's important because I believe that it has a formative milieu on your identity and that impacts your recovery, of course. And so, um, yeah. And so that's why I think it's, it's incredibly important. And then it also is interesting to hear what people come up with, right? Like I've heard so many different variations of, um, higher powers like Christo Buddhist and, (laughs) um, you know, Indian warrior goddess. And, um, and I tell people that come to see, I tell people that come to see me that we're going to talk about your higher power or your wise self. And so, um, 
I figure if they come back a second time, then they don't think I'm completely nuts. But, um, but I feel really strongly that you, you have to have that as part of your recovery. Um, you have to be able to, to dip into your wise self and we can talk about that if you want or not. But, um, in order to, to sort of detach from that, uh, trance of unworthiness that I feel like we all suffer from. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that would be interesting to kind of explore. Um, I, I, I guess I have an internal debate with myself sometimes. Um, I, I, I have a real, I guess, um, I take a real practical view of, of my recovery and the experience that, that I've had. Yet I do know that um, it was a really powerful, transformative experience to go from a life of addiction and the insanity that addiction brings to one's life to not having that anymore. And it was really over a long period of time that, that, that this transformation kind of took place. It was, it was, I mean, in the beginning, it's so dramatic, but after a while you see that it still continues and you continue to evolve over time. But, um, I respect that people have different spiritual beliefs and I think it's important. I've I've held them at different times of my life, but, um, I, I just, I just see it as language more than anything else, Adina. And I just kind of, I just look at what, what a person does, you know? So anyway, my take, it's, it's, it's interesting in the, the secular AA community, there's constantly debates about spirituality, <laughs> whether, how, how important it is or not. You know, some people think there's no use for it. And some people, for some people it's really important. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> I used to think that people would come to me. They used to tell me that they they would come to me because I was non woo woo, and now I'm a, I'm completely woo woo. Oh, really? And so yeah. <laughs> I've totally done a one eighty from the beginning of my practice to now. Um, but a lot of that was because of the hypnotherapy and just seeing, you know, the rapid results from that versus talk therapy and sort of like just helping people shed like their ego space suits. And, you know, you're more than just your feelings. You're more than just your thoughts. You're more than, you know, these defenses that you put up that you might not even know that are there, you know? So trying to help people understand that and see that has been really um, crucial to, to my work. So do you actually yourself put people under hypnosis and, and do that? You do really? Wow. Can you talk about that a little bit? I, that's interesting. I what what is it? H- how does hypnosis work, and what and what benefits do people get from it? <laughs> yeah. So we so I don't make you quack like a duck. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely different from stage hypnosis. Um, and basically, I just put people under a light trance. So we do like an interview in the beginning. Uh, we identify some of the struggles that they're having. Um, I hit hard on the spirituality piece um, and, and like their person. It doesn't even have to be like a, a mythical creature. It could be like their dead grandmother or their favorite uncle, right? Somebody that they really trust that, that only wants the best for them. Um, and then we create a script together. And so we're basically, we're basically future casting um, their ideal self and, and, and then they listen to the script, and that's when the transformation starts to occur is when they listen to it um, outside of the therapy sessions. That's interesting. That, that, that is. And so 
as you got involved in that, you kind of became more, I guess, interested in the that spiritual aspect. That I guess, I guess, when you the spiritual aspect would be that that which is really hard to define, right? It is. There just has to be a separation from your ego, um, and and your higher self, your wise self, um, and so that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I know that. Um, especially for someone who's, who's dealing with addiction issues. Um, we, we put ourselves in a situation where we're like in, um, survival mode almost all the time. Uh, we are constantly, um, conniving and doing what we need to do to get through the next crisis. And, um, so we're, we're really reactive. It's a, it's a, there's a lot of, um, stress, I guess, involved with just being an addict. And uh, when you stop that, when you stop your addictive behavior, you're kind of still left with this, um, this, 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 this way of life that um, you're not, where you have to somehow deal with, with learning how to think your way, I guess, through problems rather than react emotionally. And I see a lot of recovery being um, learning how to handle your emotions and your feelings and emotions and the way that those impact your, your reactions to life. Yeah. That sounds very CBT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Behavioral therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that, that what I find interesting is that seems to be a running theme for anybody in recovery, whether they be and whatever support, type of group they they choose it was it always comes down to after they um stop using their drug of choice it always comes down to a need for change uh, a deep a deep uh, a real profound change in how they view life so yeah so i i can that's i can see how through hypnotherapy that um that, that, that can help bring that about. That's really interesting. Yeah. And it just goes so much deeper than talk therapy. And I still use talk therapy. Um, that's what I was trained on, but, um, you know, if I'm able to get to you and to get to your deepest wounds in six sessions versus one to two years, I'm going to go with the sessions. Why am I going to prolong the suffering? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. Yeah. That's, I, yeah, I don't even know enough to even, that's amazing that, yeah, because I've gone through all kinds of therapy myself and, uh, yeah, and it takes, it takes years. It does take years. Um, so, but it, but it was helpful to me and it's something that I think that's important for people in recovery if they're able to, um, to seek professional help in addition to whatever support that they're, they're getting. And there are different ways. I, um, you know, um, there are all kinds of different um, resources available for people to get help. And a lot of, and a lot of times people aren't aware of that, but many of us, when we, when we come out of our addiction, we're having serious financial issues and, and that sometimes is an impediment to getting professional help. But there are organizations out there that you can go to that provide these types of services on kind of a sliding scale and is really helpful um, and I did that in the beginning and then went on to other, other resources later. So. Yeah. And there seems to be a lot more resources now um, due to the pandemic. You know, I think all the insurances are waiving 
fees um, for for therapy. I know there's a covidtherapy.com, and I'll, I'll have to I'll have to look it up and see. But people that are first um, that are uh, frontline workers, they get four sessions for free. You know, so the COVID thing has been huge. Um, you know, uh, in in my in my group. Um, so back in March, I think it was, we had to stop meeting in person. And uh, so we've gone to online meetings and most AA groups have most probably in, in not just AA groups, smart recovery groups, life ring groups, everything, any, any, reco- any community churches. So, um, and I've noticed that some people handle it better than others and it doesn't it's not so dependent upon age and you would think it would be that maybe younger people would be more comfortable with the technology than, than older people. But sometimes I find that some of the younger people are the ones that have the most difficulty with it because when I think about it, it makes sense because I, I was young, a young person in recovery as in my twenties and um, a really important part of my recovery. And what I see with these younger people is the friendships that they have. Uh, so, you know, it's not just going to a meeting and what you hear in the meeting, but it's having friends that you meet from the meeting that you can go out and have lunch with and coffee with and do things with. And it's that social aspect that they're missing now that is really, really making it difficult, especially if you're newly sober. It's really hard. It is hard. It is hard. I've actually... um and I'm sure other therapists are doing something similar uh, as I, but I'm, I'm actually starting to do outdoor therapy because the people that I see, the newly recovered people that I see are not going to the meetings uh, online. They just, they just have an ambivalence. They're unmotivated and I get it. We're all sort of in between fight and flight right now. So, so I'm just, I'm going to do outdoor therapy. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's good. Something. Yeah. We have one of our, one of our, groups um one of our secular groups is starting to do that now they're meeting at a park um out, outdoors and they're keeping social distancing and so forth and that that might that that very well could help but yeah that's been my biggest concern is uh the one of the, my what i what i enjoy the most about um my my little group here in Kansas City is watching people get better who might not have been able to access a support group otherwise because of their hesitation because of the religious aspects of AA and so forth, but to watch them get better and to have friends and to really, um, you know, become happy in their life. And then to see these people having to stay indoors was just, it was just tough. But some of the older people like me actually seem to be doing better as long as we know how to use the technology. Um, because I guess we're, I don't know. We're, you know, for me, I'm married. I don't really have a lot to do. <laughs> I don't have a social life. I had someone on the podcast last week and she said that she's, um, she knows that people in recovery are, are like the superstars of the pandemic because they've done the inner work, right? Like they know how to take, you know, six inches instead of like six feet. And, you know, she's, she said that she's more worried about the people that have it all figured out. Right. Oh, <laughs> so I thought that was really, um, just an interesting take on it. But, um, I do, I do look forward to the day when this is going to be passed, but I think it's going to be a long, still quite some time in the future. But, um, 
Yeah, but it all, on the other hand, though, what's been interesting is to watch the the um, a lot of people come together just online. So what's happening is these recovery groups, whether it be Smart or AA or whatever, um, they all are going online on Zoom mostly, and uh, so you're able to get to these meetings um, more easily. You can access them, access them more easily, and you get to meet people from different areas of the world and different parts of the country. And what's interesting about that is you get a wider um, diversity of thought and experience than you would if you just went to your one little group in your hometown. And I think that ultimately as this goes on, it could change the culture, you know, of the recovery um, culture. Yeah. Yeah. So just to continue doing the Zoom meetings along with the in-person meetings, I think that would be awesome. I think that will happen. I think that will happen. There's, there's, um, in our group, they've talked about doing that and most every other group I've heard the same thing. Um, especially for those people who, um, want a secular, um, experience and it's not so easy to find that, um, having the access to a, a secular type of a support group online is invaluable. So anyway, I was going to ask you what a little bit about, about your podcast again. Um, what, what have you learned from podcasting um, that, you know, and has it really, has it, have you noticed that it's maybe changed you in any sort of a way or affected you deeply? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I think that I'm learning something new every every day, you know, I'm, I'm accessing individuals that I never would have had access to in my little, uh, office in Richmond, Virginia. Um, but how has it changed me? I don't know. I I think I need to, I would need to reflect on that more. I don't know that it had any significant changes that I'm aware of. Um, but I think just opening you up to that, to people that you might not have a I've had an opportunity to speak with otherwise. I think that's huge. I think that's been the deal with me as well. Um, you know, that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's an, it's an amazing experience to just to have that opportunity, not only to, con- to meet these people that you're having on your podcast, but I, you might also have some interaction with people who listen to the podcast and let you know mm-hmm. how that has impacted them. Yeah. That's slowly starting to happen. I think the podcast is still pretty, pretty new. It's um, still under a year old, but I'm hoping with time that'll increase. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I think it will. Uh, I noticed that with, with our podcast too, we've been doing it now for five years, which is, well, coming up on five years, which is hard to believe, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting more and more uh, people will write and, and, and tell me what a po- the podcast means to them. And it just blows me away. It just blows me away. I just, can't imagine that something that I do that I enjoy doing is actually helpful to people. So, yeah. And it's so rewarding too. Because it's such a lonely job. Like we don't really get feedback. Right. Right, <laughs> so. right, right. Right. Unless you put it on YouTube, which I really, you'll judge me crazy sometimes. Um, I, I love YouTube and I, so I, we post all of our stuff on YouTube, but sometimes it really blows me away when someone dislikes something and I'm like, how can you dislike that? It's just, it's just someone's experience or just, they're just sharing their, <laughs> their heart with you and <laughs> you dislike it. Give it a thumbs down. What's that all about? <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of yeah. weird. They're in reactive mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might need therapy. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you're probably right. <laughs> 
But social media itself is kind of weird. And that's another aspect of the recovery community. A lot of, there's a lot going on in social media and that's a completely different experience um, than, oh, the Zoom meetings and, or in-person meetings. I don't, I wonder if you've had any experience with um, uh, social media and how, how, how's it, do you use social media very often in your, in your um, practice or? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I have a love hate relationship with social, but, um, but yeah, I find that the individuals that kind of want to rant and, and talk about their way as being the right way. Um, I don't think that that's helpful <laughs> um, because then you're not really open up to new, to new experiences. You're sort of just, you know, keeping that guard up and, um, you know, you're not having any compassionate yeses. They're all compassionate no's. And maybe they're not even that compassionate uh, with the no's, but yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, it's like one of the problems that I see in the recovery community is that we, and it's just kind of society as a whole, but we're kind of in our, we're in our silos. Um, there was an episode that you did with Tom Horvath from Smart Recovery, and he mentioned something that was very true that um, I wish that more people would understand. But he said that, hey, there's a lot of people in AA that go to SMART. And that <laughs> I love to hear that because I think that that's what I would like to see happen more often in in the, our recovery culture is to see more of a mix and match that people don't have to belong to a certain um, group. Like it's just because you go to an AA meeting doesn't mean that, that, that you can only go to AA meetings. You can also go to Life Ring. You can also go to SMART. Yeah, why are we just so loyal to one way of thinking, right? Uh, we're really cutting ourselves off from from new experiences and new connections, and and social media is good for that. It's good for um, that kind of divisiveness, but you don't ever see that. You don't see. You don't hear that too much in a face to face type meeting or or whatever. But um, um, so a lot of a lot of uh, what we have to do now is totally online and. Uh, which is kind of weird now <laughs> that every, almost every human interaction that we have is through a screen anymore. And uh, they get, it, it can get old after a while for sure. Agreed. I guess maybe the, the one last thing I, I might want to say, and I think I may have mentioned this earlier, but um, I find that this really helps my people. It's just the thinking about just thinking about thoughts and, and feelings differently. So um, I don't know who this quote is by, but I love it. Um, so we speak about losing our minds as if it's a bad thing. I say, lose your mind, do it purposefully, find out who you really are beyond your thoughts and beliefs. I like that. That's a good, that's a good way to close out. So thank you so much. Um, and that's it. That's another episode of AA beyond belief, the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Adina, for joining me here today. And for those of you who would like to support our website and podcast, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can go to Patreon and become a patron. Uh, just, you know, give us a dollar a month is even helpful. Uh, you can also donate through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief or just go to our website and click on the donate button. But if you can't, that's okay too. We, we just love doing this and we'll keep doing it uh, no matter what. So anyway, you all take care. Be well. We'll be back again real soon with another episode.